All right, everyone. Welcome to the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast with Andrew Drozdak and Thomas Bowen. This is a podcast for slightly above average football fans, slightly below average football fans that want to learn more about the game. And if you're a football junkie, this is the podcast for you. We're glad you're here and we hope you enjoy it. All right, everybody, here we are for episode 15 of season three of the Slightly Above Average Football Fan Podcast. This is the X's and O's shows for the Jimmys and the Joes. I am Andrew Drozdak. I'm one of your co-hosts. I am joined by my good buddy, Thomas Bowen. He just finished working on his cranberry sauce recipe for Thanksgiving. Does that sound right, Thomas? <laughs> if you catch me working on a cranberry sauce, something is going on because that may be the worst dish on the table for Thanksgiving, and I will die on that hill. Well, and I, I have to admit, I, I texted your brother and said, hey, what's Thomas's least favorite side dish for Thanksgiving? <laughs> <laughs> he said, cranberry sauce. I said, all right, it's for the podcast interview. And he goes, I figured. And so, yeah, no. So which nice, brings, me, nice. brings me to a, a real question. What's, in your opinion, Thomas, before we dive into football today, what's the best Thanksgiving side? So, so we're talking sides, not mains, right? Just sides. sides side items. Oh, this, this is easy. It's mac and cheese, 100%. I would agree. I love mac and cheese, but here's my thought. Hear, me, hear out my argument for stuffing, okay? Do, okay. do we use stuffing any other time? <sighs> no. So, like, I mean, do you like stuffing? I mean, I can take it or leave it, which oh, also okay. begs the question is, when, when is stuffing dressing and vice versa? So, you do you always call it stuffing? So, I always thought that was like a regional thing, but my mother-in-law told me today that stuffing, okay, I'm going to do this wrong, stuffing has cornbread in it, and then dressing doesn't, like it has a different type of bread, is what's okay. what she said. So, that was, I always thought it was regional, like if you were from the south, you called it stuffing, if you were from up north, you called it dressing. Is that is that not right? I, I don't know. I mean, it could be. It could. Uh, it's kind of like uh, chicken bog versus perlo. I've always looked at perlo as a more northern term and chicken bog down in the south. So maybe could be on to something there. Well, we we clearly call it chicken bog because that's the only right answer. <laughs> um, exactly. Speaking of right answers, Thomas, uh, South Carolina had a whole lot of right answers against Tennessee on Saturday. I don't know about you, but I didn't see that coming. What's your reactions here? Never have I ever been more Great excited. Drinking Great drinking game. <laughs> Never have I ever been more excited to be so wrong about a game. I mean, I think I think you and I and pretty much every other Gamecock fan in the country, pundit, whatever, had uh, this game pegged as a blowout. Tennessee was going to blow out South Carolina. Um Full disclosure, the uh, I was doing some traveling this weekend, and first quarter, I had it on the radio, so I got to enjoy Todd Ellis and Tommy Suggs for the first quarter, who I'm pretty sure that uh, Tommy Suggs may have peed his pants a few <laughs> times because he got he got good and riled up. So um, I got him at the end because we were at the game, and I'll get into that. Sorry to step on your intro, but uh, no, I got him good. at the end. And I felt like, and so I want to know if this was at like it, this at the beginning. Did Tommy just laugh the whole time you were listening to him? I felt like he was giggling. <laughs> like <laughs> Pretty much, especially once uh, South Carolina got uh, their first three touchdowns on the board. I think he was just punch drunk at that point. He was just <laughs> giggly, and he was like, you know, what's going on? I think he was kind of like the rest of us. It's like, what what is happening here? What What is going on? Absolutely. And I think – 
the, the thing that was so interesting about this game was it was at least for me and probably for you and a lot of other Gamecock fans out there, we kept waiting on the other shoe to drop. We kept saying, Hey, this is great, man. South Carolina's doing great, but, but you know, it's, they're not going to keep this up. They're not going to keep this pace up. Tennessee's going to do what Tennessee does and just, you know, just hammer them. But South Carolina kept answering every single time. I really want to know where this has been all season. There's been a lot of scuttlebutt back and forth about, you know, no way Marcus Satterfield was calling these plays. I certainly don't think he was, at least not solely on his shoulders. Um, <clears throat> of course, Beamer has come out and 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 voiced his support, gave a game ball to Marcus Satterfield. That doesn't really do anything for me personally as far as convincing me the other way. Um, but regardless, and here's one of the things that kind of gets lost in this because people seem to be so hung up on who was calling plays, who designed the game plan for this. You know, you asked me earlier in this season – has has Rattler won a game for South Carolina? What has he really done at quarterback for South Carolina? Well, Rattler played flawless this game. I mean, he was hitting big time throws. He was hitting those those opposite field out routes that that you love so much. That that is such a hallmark of a good uh, NFL passer making NFL throws. He didn't really even put anything in jeopardy. He he didn't have that that boneheaded interception that Rattler's so known for, and it was just. You know, every drive was a touchdown. He was very dialed in. He was making really good decisions. I think that whoever designed this game plan or whoever was was the the vast majority of that, it was a great game plan. There was no check with me, uh, spread them out, call it and haul it, as we like to say. And I think it gave the offense and it gave Rattler an opportunity to get into a rhythm. And there's so much to be said for getting to a rhythm. Uh, offensive line played great. Um, you know, it was just a fantastic offensive game plan. Defensively, South Carolina, we talked last week about how Georgia kind of showed the blueprint for slowing down or stopping that Tennessee offense. But of course, the the double edged sword there is Georgia has four and five stars at every position. So it's, you know, not everybody can do that. Well, South Carolina pretty much came out with that same game plan defensively. Cam Smith had a fantastic game, held Jalen Hyatt six catches for 65 yards. That defense held Hendon Hooker under 250 pass yards. Sidebar, I didn't even notice this listening and or watching the game whenever I got off the road. Leading wide receiver for Tennessee is Squirrel, right? Did you know they had a wide receiver named Squirrel? I did not. Yeah, that was um, – that's that's one of those all-time college football names right there. Um, but, again, got hit with some injuries too. Uh, shout out to freshman Peyton Williams who came in, yes. played very well. I, I'm really liking the the young production from this defense, especially on the back end. That that really pays dividends for you down the road. But bottom line is, South Carolina came out and played great football. Their their best, probably their best football all season. Definitely offensively, it was a good game plan. It wasn't super convoluted. It was simple. Great execution. Offensive line looked great. There's not a whole lot more you could have asked from South Carolina for this game. No, absolutely not. And on defense, uh, the first thing that I I thought of, it kind of reminded me of, you know, when Michael Jordan was in the NBA, coaches talked about, you know, you knew you weren't going to shut him down. You weren't going to hold him to 10 points, 12 points. You weren't, that wasn't going to happen. It was, the idea was hold him to 30. Don't let him score 50 on you. That, that was 
Tennessee. Like, you know, we did use that Georgia game plan and Tennessee scored 38 points. Okay. You know, they, they, you know, they, they came out firing. They, they were, you know, we scored seven, nothing. We're all feeling great. And then they go four plays, four plays and they are in the end zone. (laughs) And I was like, holy shnikes, that's not good. So, you know, defense played very, very well and they did use the, the, the UGA plan. But ultimately, it felt like the game plan was, hey, don't let him score 50. Let him score 30. Let him, you know, I I don't mean like we were giving it to him. What I mean is, you got to know going into that game, you're not shutting Tennessee out. Like you're, you're not, you're not shutting them down. So you just have to say, hey, don't let him kill you. Don't let them hit you with the wide open. What was it in the uh, – was it right before half we had the miscommunication in the back end and the guy was wide – it was right – it may have been in the third quarter coming out of half where there was a big touchdown, yeah. somebody was wide open, and it was just like, uh-oh, they found a hole. But then we got it right, and, it, you know, that was huge. Um, you know, speaking of defense, before I jump into my offensive thoughts, you know, the the, the call on Nick E – by the letter of the law, it is is targeting, but like mm-hmm. it was helmet to helmet contact. Yeah, but you're right. What is he supposed to do there? Not tackle? Like I just yeah. don't get that. I am. I listen. I am for player safety. I've said this before. Do everything you can to protect players. Do everything you can. But like he didn't. He didn't torpedo that guy. There was no nah. other move. Like he, like what's he supposed to do? Fall down? Yeah, and I mean the Tennessee player too. I, I'm not saying that he was leading with his head, but he he tucked his head down yeah. too. Had that Tennessee player not tucked his head down, you're talking a, a chest up textbook tackle. Because as an offensive player, it's it's a natural reaction to kind of kind of take yourself and get small and and try to not take that brunt hit on your chest. Like you just said, it was going to be a chest hit. And I just, I mean, I, I, I'm all for player safety, but holy cow, what is a play like? Not even just a South Carolina player. What is any player supposed to do in that situation as a defender? You, you can't not like you're not going to not hit helmets there. Like it's just too close quarters for that not to happen. Um, but anyway, there isn't a, a single person on earth. I don't care how big of a Gamecock fan you are that saw this coming. Which, by the way, Thomas, if I could. Uh, paraphrase Biff Tannen back in Back to the Future 2. I wish I could go back and put some money on the Gamecocks on Better's Edge, which is the premier not, no, uh, excuse me, no fee social media betting website online right now. You can create your own lines and prices. These are usually better than anywhere else you can find, and it's legal in 45 states, most importantly in South Carolina. You can use the promotional code AVERAGE at sign up to get $20 for free in your wallet just for being a listener of the slightly above average football fan podcast visit bettersedge.com slash average to get started today that's b-e-t-t-o-r-e-d-g-e.com slash average thomas i feel like that's one of our better ad reads as as a as a, a, a unit uh, at this moment do you, you feel pretty yeah, good about that? yeah nice 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 way to work that in there and i'm all about some back to the future references always always hoverboards i'm still waiting on them um <laughs> so 63 points most 
points or second most points scored in South Carolina football history as an SEC team since 1995 when Steve Tanninghill helped the Gamecocks score 65 points on Mississippi State, the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Thomas, here's the thing that I find the most interesting about this offensive performance. We've talked many times on this show this season about in games where we performed well offensively, we the defense or the special teams gave some kind of advantage a short field a blocked punt that you know something like that none of that happened there was a late turnover but none of that happened south carolina you know oftentimes you'll hear football compared to a heavyweight fight south carolina went punch for punch for punch for punch with tennessee and kept coming out on top and that is insane based on what we have seen this season, that we were able to do that. Spencer Radler, you mentioned it. We've talked about on this show. Has he won any games for us this year? Most definitely he helped win this game this uh, this week. 80% of his passes, over 80%, over 400 yards, a South Carolina record, six touchdown passes. That is wild stuff. Because Insane. It, it just... There was nothing that told you that was happening. You know, I think it was last week or the week before I kept I said something about how in my brain I keep going, okay, this is the week it clicks. This is the week it clicks. This is where he finds it. And I had no reason to believe it. I certainly didn't believe it walking into Williams Bryce on Saturday night for the game, but doggone it, something happened and he found it. And it was impressive. And on top of that, Thomas, he was throwing the ball on time and in some pretty small windows, like some very small windows. This wasn't like Tennessee DBs fell down or had a busted coverage. There was guys in position. He just put the ball in the right place. Um, The other thing that cannot go unmentioned, the offensive line blocked their ass off all great game great game blocked their ass off all night gave him so much time having atkins trace or nate atkins (laughs) i almost called him trace atkins again uh (laughs) nate atkins in the backfield as an extra blocker on that six-man protection was huge the the will the one thing i will say that that spencer did a good job of but also trusted his wide receiver he gave juice wells 50 50 balls that were well-thrown balls and trusted him to go make a play and he did. I mean, it was just clicking. It was clicking all the way around. Uh, truly, as a South Carolina fan, Thomas, I was as we were getting, I was getting ready for the show. What what game can you compare this to? Because even when I think about the Spurrier years, where we would put up points and have good games, I can't think of a game that for two halves, all game long, we scored nine out of ten times. That we had the ball, like that's insane. Yeah, no. When you talk about uh, when you talk about Tennessee's ranking coming in this game, you talk about the spread on the game. I think they're they're favorable at twenty one, twenty two points. Yeah, twenty two. Like yeah, yeah. And you know, uh, a top ten, top five team in the country. And it's, no, I, I think when you look at it as a whole, with all of those things in play, no, this was one of the most impressive, most complete game performances, certainly of of our lives. I would say. And it was it was not just the passing game. The passing game was obviously featured and did really well, but the run game was substantial. I mean, you know, it was. I think we rushed for over 150 yards, and you mm-hmm. know, as a group, 
you know, Ju- uh, not Juice Wells, uh, Jaheim Bell made some made some great plays. He ended up with eighty something yards um, on the ground, and of course made some great catches out of the backfield. Like just. Here's the thing, and this is gets to my last point before we move into the big rivalry game against uh, Clemson. You said it earlier. Did did Marcus Satterfield call these plays? Here's a couple things that make me question that, and I'll get more in detail schematically here in a second. But the way Jaheim Bell was used, he would line up in the backfield and get a free release on an out or a quick hitch or or or, or something along those lines, a choice route. We that this offense has not used him that way all season long. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Somebody pointed this out to me. If Marcus Satterfield called this game, and Coach Beamer is saying he did. By the way, I should have started uh, my reaction off with this. I called Coach Beamer out that he was letting this happen. This, that, and the other <coughs> went in on him. Hey, Coach, you you won the day. You won the day. Sixty three points. Huge, huge, huge game. But. The way just Jaheim Bell, how he was used on Saturday night last week, is not in any way, shape, or form how he's been used this season. So if Marcus Satterfield was calling the plays, at the very least, positioning and personnel was different. Spencer Rattler, I think at some point to, uh, during a presser this week, talked about that one of the, some of the things they did to fix the offense, less personnel groupings, so that's that's less complex playing with the same tempo and not, you know, checking. You mentioned it. Call it and haul it. So, you know, I, I like that. But I guess here's my thing before we move into Clemson and, and kind of just uh, there's no point debating over and over who called plays because we don't know. But if it was Marcus Satterfield, if it was, what the heck took so long? Why, 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 did, why did it have to happen in, in, in game 11? Like, why didn't you have this this game plan against Georgia? Like, you know, Arkansas, hell, Missouri. Like, you, you like what what made you figure this out? I will say today during his presser, Marcus Satterfield made a comment that he told the players because there was a comment made by Juice Wells that Coach Satterfield told him, you know, coming in the game, f it, you know, we're just going to play free and go out there and play. And Marcus followed that up by saying. He, and I think it's a quote, direct quote. I may be wrong. What do I have to lose? That that sounds like a guy who expects to lose his job. Like <laughs> that that sounds like a guy who's like, I'm getting fired. So I mean, heck, what? Why, why does it matter? So hey, I don't know. All right, Thomas. It is rivalry week. It is South yes, Carolina finally at Clemson. Fourteen point. Five underdogs, 14 and a half underdogs for South Carolina on the road against number, what are they now? I think they're eight, nine. Clemson. They are eight. Eight. Over under 65 and a half, which is a lot of points. Uh, it's on ABC at 12 p.m. Starting off on South Carolina's offense, Thomas, we've talked about it at nauseum. Whoever called the game against the first half of Vandy and last Saturday, whoever was involved, whatever the system was, whatever it was, do it again. I just, I mean, it's everything we've asked for. It's its making the defense defend the entire field. It's attacking weak points. It's making plays off of plays, Thomas. And I'm going to get into that here in a second, talking about what we did with uh, Dak Joyner. But here's the thing. We played loose and free against UT. 
We played loose and free. We were not freaking out. There was no tight. There was no, you know, whatever it was, if it was a supplication of the offense, whatever it was, bring that same energy to this game. Spencer Rattler was decisive and accurate. Do it again. The biggest, biggest question mark, Thomas, is can this offensive line hold up against Clemson's pass rush? Clemson's pass rush is not Tennessee's pass rush. Or I guess the other way, the better way to say that is Tennessee's is not Clemson's. This, yeah. As Jim Ross, famous wrestling announcer, used to say, business is about to pick up. And business is about to pick up because those front four for Clemson and really the front seven, they are in another league compared to the Tennessee defenders. So we got to be able, you got to keep Tennessee off balance. Or excuse me, <laughs> you got to keep Clemson off balance. Show them something new. Using Joiner the way they used him against Tennessee was really, really like a good wrinkle. Now, Thomas, and we did this in the UNC game back in the bowl game, you got to let him throw. You got to let him throw. Don't even make it a RPO. Let him truly drop back. You can make it a pass, a play action pass, but we need to go into a play that Dak knows I'm throwing this football, that my job is to get this ball out of my hand. And he's done that at times well because Clemson's looking for him to run it or hand it off. There was a new look in this game, Thomas. Again, something that makes me question if Marcus Satterfield was calling plays. We had Joyner lined up in the shotgun with Bell lined up at running back to the play side. And we ran this as almost in an inverted veer. We brought, I think it was Brown. Yeah, it was Brown across the, the formation on a, like a trade or a jet motion. At the snap of the ball, Joyner goes to put the ball in Bell's chest. Bell's going to run it straight ahead. We're staring at a last man on the line of scrimmage. He's in a really tough spot because if he sits, well, so we don't give it to Bell. Then he sees Brown flash across his face, and so he widens. And when he widens, that creates space for Dak, and Dak ran 14 yards. The next play, literally the very next play, we ran the exact same formation, same play. I think what made the play not go as well, Bell's got to block that last man on last scrimmage. Or, as my coach used to say, get yourself tackled by that guy. Make him think you have the ball. He arced around to go block somebody else. I would, I got to think that that was a mistake by him. He's got to make that guy commit to him, give Brown the ball on the, on the uh, end of round, and it's a huge game for us. Continue to use pre-snap motion to confuse Clemson, but also to make them, <coughs> excuse me, declare their defense. They have to declare, are we in man or in zone? If a guy, like we pointed out last week, if you bring an emotion across the formation, if a guy goes with him, nine times out of ten, he's in man coverage. If he passes him off to another guy, what I mean by that is the defender points to somebody on the other side of the field and goes, hey, man, that's your guy, that's your guy. That's zone. So, we, we need to know that a lot ahead of time. Continue doing that. Thomas, I, I've rewatched the game on multiple occasions, you know, just because, I mean, we beat the number five team in the country by a whole lot. So why would I watch that a lot? We were in the spread, I think, all night. A version yeah, of the spread. We were in all night. One of the things I liked the most was we were in three by one a lot. Here's what I love about three by one. We had Juice Wells in the outside spot on the three-man bunch. The middle man, I believe, was Van, 
And in the inside guy, we would have been brown, and we had a wide receiver to the backside. So the inside man was brown, and whoever was on the backside was Dak. It was a couple different guys. They ran mesh. The middle guy, which was Josh Van, ran a vertical, and then outside Juice ran an in route at about 12 yards. That puts the safety, no matter what defense you're in, it gives that puts the safety in a bind, but it also gives Radler three progressions all right in a row. You can peek at the vert. You can go at the end because if the vert, if the safety runs with the vert, the, the end's open. If somehow the other safety jumps the, the end route, now you're looking at your mesh. It's the, it, it's an air raid staple. Mesh is 92. That was what we were in was early 92. That that's an air raid staple. Like staple that that's a huge play. That's something that Shane Beamer would have seen ran over and over and over and over again in Oklahoma. So again, that's what makes me question: Was Marcus Satterfield calling plays? Maybe designing the game plan? Maybe not. That is an air raid staple. That is not a pro staple that he kind of guides himself on. So I just I, I that questions I question that. We seem Thomas to be very comfortable. In the huddle, one of the things we talked about last week, or I, I mentioned, play as slow as you can, and we we kind of did that. Like it wasn't like an on purpose slow. We didn't wait to snap the ball with two seconds left on the play clock, but we we certainly weren't in a rush. Does that make sense? Like we, we yeah, we wasn't like we were panicking. Like oh god, we got to check. Oh god, here we go. What's the coverage? What's this? What's that? And there's two seconds on the play clock. It's like oh god, let me throw my leg in the air if I'm the quarterback. Give me the ball. Give me the ball. That just doesn't bode well. So it, it, we looked super comfortable. Got to stick with that. So, Thomas, as I mentioned, as we've mentioned, this was a, I mean, honestly and truthfully, a historic offensive performance by South Carolina. Let's assume for the sake of argument that they are as well prepared for this week. What's Clemson doing to stop this? Okay, as well prepared, it's just a matter if they can execute. So if I'm Clemson's defense, what am I doing to to keep South Carolina's offense from executing that at a high level? Well, you know, this is Clemson defense, and, you know, ups and downs this year, it's still a Clemson defense. They absolutely dominated Miami last week, held Miami to eight yards in the first half, I think 98 yards total for the game now say what you will about Miami's offense and it's not a great offense but that is just absolute domination the defensive line has has certainly been the most consistent unit all season on this defense but what's really interesting about this defense is the secondary the DBs have really come around if you go all the way back to the Wake Forest game which was a a boat race and a shootout and Wiggins and some of the other cornerbacks and DBs at Clemson got picked on in a big way. This secondary is is light years better today than they were earlier in the season. So they've, they've really gelled together. Um, but to that end, as far as defending South Carolina, I think you're going to see a lot of quarters coverage on the back end. Tennessee, Tennessee tried to attack South Carolina's offense with a lot of cover two. I even saw some cover one back there. Um and I think Heupel even said, you know, we tried man, we tried zone, nothing was working. So I think that Clemson and Goodwin and his defense, you're going to see a lot of quarters coverage on the back end. They're not going to blitz much. They'll get pressure with the front four. You mentioned it before. 
Clemson's defensive line is a whole heck of a lot better than Tennessee's defensive line. Um, so as well as South Carolina's offensive line played last week, and as well as they have been playing as a whole the back half of this schedule, this is going to be a massive, massive test for them. The thing the thing about this Clemson defense is that allows them, because that front four is so good and they can get pressure with them, it allows them to run quarters coverage on the back end. It also allows their linebackers – to cover in space and to clean up anything that gets pushed out of the pocket. Their linebackers is another group that has really come on late here. Uh, I think they made a move of moving Simpson back to that strong side to the Sam linebacker position, which has really shored up those linebackers. And so I think if South Carolina is going to be coming in with the same offensive game plan, you know, Rattler and that offense found a lot of holes in Tennessee's defense. I think Clemson's going to want to prevent that. They're going to try to get Rattler out of the pocket. Clemson's linebackers are a heck of a lot faster than South Carolina's linebackers and can really cover in space. So uh, I think that's really going to be their game plan. They don't have to be very exotic. Let those front four eat, and it's just really going to be about the South Carolina offense and if they can continue to find holes in that defense. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um Again, Thomas, you know, I don't want to make it over simple, but it, and I'm going to say this about, you know, ahead of time about the South Carolina defense. It feels like you could, you could kind of have the same game plan that you had on offense and defense against Tennessee in certain ways, but you're not, you're not playing Tennessee. Like you, you know, it's it's you know on offense or excuse me on defense against their offense that that's not a bad thing for us, but on our offense it's a not great thing because this this is a Will Goodwin and you've commented a couple times on this has had his his rough moments as a defensive coordinator, first year defensive coordinator this year, but you know I think you and I would both agree when you look at the line of scrimmage, just purely talent based. Our five offensive linemen, who I'm not knocking, they've 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 grown and they've gelled together. On paper, are not as talented as Clemson's front four. I mean, we we would agree both of us to that, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and we would also agree that Tennessee's front four is better than Tennessee's or Clemson. Yeah, ten, Clemson's is better than Tennessee's front four. Yes, definitely. So, I mean. That you know, I know I always go back to it as an old offensive line guy. It's going to come down to the line of scrimmage, but it, it, it's going to come down to the line of scrimmage, Thomas. Like if we can block them, I mean Spencer Rattler proved it. If, if we give him time and he's not and he's comfortable, he he made some darn good throws. So I, that's scary because that's a problem. Um, Car- uh, Clemson's offense. We've talked about it week after week after week, Thomas. And I don't again. I don't want to step on the South Carolina defense thing, but. Do you feel like if if we as a defense kind of take a similar approach of we're putting our DBs on islands and, and our safeties with some back help and we're bringing heat against DJU, that's got to be a part of the game plan, right? Yes, for sure, for multiple reasons, which I'll touch on. Yeah, because he – as a guy who's looking at it from an offensive lens, where DJ is at his worst is when he's uncomfortable, is when he's not got a clean pocket, when things are not going well. So that's going to be huge. Is is getting if if DJU can feel comfortable and on time, he's going to you know he he just typically runs better and, and has a better game. 
again, like uh, we've mentioned previously, he he seems more comfortable and more in control when he's involved in the running game and he's got success there. So you got you know as a Clemson offense, you've got to establish that if that's QB power, if it's QB draw, if it's just a um, bootleg situation. Uh, I saw a thing where Mark Sanchez, who was talking about the Jets quarterback, currently Zach Wilson, and how they use him on bootlegs a lot, and he was throwing interceptions. Sanchez, was that was one of his strong suits. He didn't have a whole lot in the NFL. But that was one of his strong suits, was throwing on the bootleg. And he said, you can't throw an interception when you're bootlegging or when you're sprinting out. You have two options, completed pass, or three options, completed pass, throw it out of bounds, or take off on a run. And DJ's, you know, if, if South Carolina's going to have success, they're going to have to contain that. Again, speaking of running, Will Shipley, uh, you know, is Thomas, he, he's really rounded out to be a pretty darn good running back. And has yeah, had, absolutely. Had some really good games here of late. The play action pass is another thing that can help this Clemson offense is if you get South Carolina's linebackers, which we've mentioned are not the fastest in the world, out of position where they're trying to jump in a running lane all of a sudden, that opens up a whole lot of windows for this Clemson wide receiver group and tight end group to find places to run hitches and stays and sticks. And so you got to be ready for that. So it's a tough situation. If you're going to blitz, you got to get home. This, Thomas, and see if you agree with me here, this is the type of game that DJ has struggled the most in in the past two years. In what context? So South Carolina just beat Tennessee, right? This is, mm-hmm. you know, South Carolina's playing with house money. Let's be honest about that. We've hit we've hit seven wins. You know, everybody that, you know, supposedly, quote, unquote, has inside information says South Carolina's going to the Gator Bowl, no matter if it's beat Clemson or not beat Clemson. So South Carolina's got no reason to come in nervous. They're, they're footloose and fancy free and ready to go. DJ has to be looking at what happened to this Tennessee game going, I, I got to play well. I got to do a good job. I got to play well. So if you look at the look back at the Notre Dame game, you know, he had to be thinking this is not a ranked team. They've had some bad losses, but they're coming in ready to go. South Carolina should be coming in ready to go. So what I mean by that is it's not like a, a top five or ten matchup, but it's a game on paper Clemson should probably win. They're favored by 14 and a half for that reason. But those games seem to be when DJ presses the much and it, the, the most and ends up with turnovers is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and the, the pressure's ramped up even more for, for him and for Clemson because, like you said, South Carolina's playing with house money here. Clemson is already in the ACC championship. Now, if Clemson has another loss to, to South Carolina, then they're definitely out of the playoff picture. Oh, now, sure. they still need a whole whole lot of help to get in right now, but they could still get in with one loss, assuming they beat South Carolina and they win the ACC title game. But a loss to South Carolina, and there's not really any way they get in. So, yeah, there's a whole heck of a lot more pressure on them and DJU particularly. Well, and that's, that's exactly what I'm trying to say is this is a game they should win. This is a game that they're favored to win. But – South Carolina's coming in hot, just like the Notre Dame game. I don't remember what the spread was there, but Notre Dame was coming in hot. And DJ's just got to play well. Granted, it's at home. It's not on the road, so there's a big difference there. Thomas, but before I switch to South Carolina's defense, let me ask you a hypothetical question. If this game was at williams Bryce, 
on Saturday at 7 o'clock kickoff, what would your feelings be about this game as opposed to a noon kick in Clemson? It would be uh, – I would certainly shift some of my thoughts over to South Carolina, and I would like South Carolina's chances a whole lot better if you're you're talking a night game at Willie B after it was electric last week against Tennessee. Hopefully they would have ordered some more fireworks before the game <laughs> so they wouldn't run out of those. Uh, but, yeah, and, and I think, honestly – that the same goes for this game being in Clemson. If you're South Carolina, you want a noon game above all else. You don't want a 7.30, 8 o'clock game in Memorial Stadium to give that stadium a chance to get fired up and get rocking. So I think, yeah, I'd feel a lot better for South Carolina's chances, but but even going up to Clemson is best-case scenario as far as kick time. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I was just saying in in retrospect, after what happened last weekend, it's gotta it would feel much better. All right, let's let's switch completely from that. Talk South Carolina defense. How do they make DJ uncomfortable? How do they stop this run game, which they've struggled with most of the season? Yeah, you know, I think that the theme for this week for South Carolina's defense is really about gap integrity. You mentioned Will Shipley, who's having a, a, a really really good year. Uh, he's le- uh, second. Second in the ACC and rushing, um, he's always been that. Uh, it it kind of surprises me how how much of a bruising power running back he has turned into. When he's always been a, a smaller guy, you never you never know if guys like that can hold up to the weekly pounding. He he is obviously doing it and continuing to do it. However, I will say that <clears throat> I, I think. Not really his fault, but his style of running, how hard he runs the ball. He's been a little loose with the ball lately. Like he is prone to fumbling. You can punch that ball out the way, and that's just kind of the nature of the beast with some of those hard-nosed running backs like that. Um, Secondly, outside of that, defensive line has to contain the edges, push everything back inside. We've talked about it ad nauseum. South Carolina – doesn't have the speed at linebacker to defend sideline to sidelines. So if this game becomes one of those outside the hash marks games where they're just running side to side, I think it'll be a long day for South Carolina's defense there. But they can and should blitz this Clemson offense. Now, you know, blitzing can be a bit of a high risk, high reward scenario. It puts your DBs on an island in man coverage. How, but this, this Clemson wide receiving core is nothing compared to what it has been in past years. It's frankly, top to bottom, it's not that great of a receiving core. And South Carolina just showed with Tillman and Hyatt, some of the best receivers, certainly in the SEC, if not the country, went toe-to-toe, put them in man, and played very well and held them down. So if, if I'm Clayton White, I'm confident that my DVs can, can cover Clemson. But finally, hit DJ early and often. Is he is a he's a quarterback that can that can hurt you with his legs. Um, it's no secret that quarterbacks that like to tuck it and run like that, the the earlier and the harder you can hit those quarterbacks, the less likely they are to tuck it and run. So uh, I think South Carolina's really got to keep everything inside, blitz, blitz often, make him uncomfortable, and try to get a couple turnovers. That's it's again, like you said, this is this is a very similar should be a very similar defensive game plan to what they had last week. Only, honestly, I think, especially for the secondary, they've got an easier task this week against Clemson's wide receivers than they do against Tennessee last week. Right, and here's the thing. As an offense, you've got to have some confidence coming into the game 
after the Tennessee game, you know, what we've mentioned it, and I mentioned it on this week's show, South Carolina's best offensive performances have been when they've gotten short fields or, you know, whatnot from the from the defense and the special teams. That didn't happen against Tennessee. That didn't happen, you know, and, and they put up 63 points. So as a coaching staff, you, you can go in that offensive room and go, guys, we just put 63 points on the number five team in the country. You know, their defense may not be Clemson's defense, but you got to feel a little bit better, a little bit more confident coming in. I got to be honest, Thomas, at the game, first of all, the atmosphere was amazing. Um, before kickoff was just electric. It was insane. Um, but when we got the ball first, uh, at the because because Tennessee deferred, I was like, crap, we've lost. Because <laughs> typically, if we don't get a big turnover there, uh, or, or you know, if we don't play well, or, or something good doesn't happen, we we fall apart. And on that fourth and one, where we had the illegal snap, which is just a nonsense call, and then it went to fourth yeah. and six, I'm freaking out, going, Shane, kick it, kick it, kick it, get points. We need points. And we went for it and got it, and it was just going to be one of those nights. You need that type of momentum. You either need that mm-hmm. momentum or you need a turnover, which jumps into final outlook, Bowen. What 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 do you see happening at Memorial Stadium uh, up in Clemson this weekend? I just I think when when you when you put in the the, the rivalry factor here and it's at Clemson, and I just. <sighs> Maybe it's the pessimistic Gamecock in me, but I I, I want to see South Carolina do what they did last week. I want to see them put it together two weeks in a row. Maybe not as dominant, but I'm just not confident they can do that. So I think Clemson wins this one and extends their streak to God knows how many it is now. But I think this will be a much better performance this year than last year when they couldn't muster a single point against them. Right. And What's the streak at now? I think it's eight. I think this is for number nine, maybe. Maybe it's oh seven, and God. this is for eight, and that's just awful. Um, Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's terrible, but I think that's where it is. It's it's not pretty. Uh, I will say South Carolina and the Shane Beamer coach team, they've ended a lot of streaks this this, this season. The, the Kentucky loss, never beating Tennessee or Texas A&M, you know, those types of things have, have ended a streak, a three-game losing streak to Tennessee. This you know, So who knows? That being said, I, I would love, Thomas, I would love, as both a Gamecock fan and as a football junkie, to sit here and tell you that South Carolina's offense found something. They found their groove. They, they've they found what works. They've highlighted that on the play sheet. They've used it this week in practice, and they're ready to go. I'd love to tell you that. But at the same time, I'm a Gamecock football fan. And I just can't believe it. Um, I was texting with Andrew Fisher during Tennessee game. Shout out to our boy Fish. And I was like, we kept, you mentioned it. We kept waiting for the shoe to drop, right? And then it never did. So at the end of the game, I texted him. I said, so this means Clemson blows us out next week, right? And he was like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, 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 I don't want that to be the case. I don't think it is. I think we have the talent player to player to keep this game, quite honestly, under the spread. 14 and a half is a lot of points, in my opinion. I think South Carolina, if they play to their potential, which they've only done on, on, on a few occasions this season, can play it tighter than that. But here's, yeah. here, here's the thing that scares me to death. Clemson's defensive line. Clemson's defensive mm-hmm. line is really good. They get a couple early sacks on Spencer Radler. And he gets shaky. He gets to start running from ghosts. He gets to that, you know, get rid of the ball quick, 
bail out of the pocket quick mindset that he had earlier, that makes me nervous. Um, I think Clemson comes out on top here. I do believe, and I think we'll know in the first quarter, quite honestly, I do believe South Carolina keeps it closer than, than 14 and a half and has a respectable game. But again, I think we'll know that by the end of the first quarter because what we've seen from South Carolina this season, when they start slow, they just never get it going. If they can start fast, with be that an offensive score, a defensive play, a special teams play, they can hang with you. So we'll, we'll know early. Um, but I think, Thomas, both of us are in agreement here. Clemson, if we're being honest, comes out on top. I, I would say South Carolina does not cover the spread. Do you, do you feel comfortable saying that? Uh, I, I think I think it's it's going to be close. I think the spread is, is pretty much right on. But yeah, I mean, I could see Clemson winning any anything by a margin of you know fourteen all the way up to to eighteen twenty one. So yeah, I think Clemson's going to cover this one. Yeah, I hope I'm wrong again. Absolutely, hope I'm wrong. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. So typically here we would talk about the Clemson game and who they're playing this week, but they're playing South Carolina, so we already did that. So the other big game, the biggest game, you know, if you're not a Gamecock or a Clemson fan, the biggest game in college football as a national perspective is number three Michigan at number two Ohio State, which this is an eight and a half spread on Fox, also at noon is the biggest game this week. This is essentially, and we can get into how it may not be, but for for the most part, this is a win-and-get-in playoff game, Thomas. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. So this is a huge game. Michigan beat Ohio State last season for the first time with Jim Harbaugh at the head coaching helm. Michigan State's offense has been really good this season, except they have a big concern coming into this game. Blake, is it is it Corum? Is that how I say that? Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure because it felt like Corum could be right. I, you know, I get scared. Um, Blake Corum <laughs> is potentially out. Thomas, the most recent thing I, I I saw said he's not playing. Do you do you have you seen anything on that? Yeah, that, that's what I've seen too. But then I've also seen where where of course. Of course, um, Ohio State is, is preparing for him to play. But, I mean, even once he got injured last week, he did come back in the game for like one play, but then he was pretty much done after that. So, I, I've, I've honestly, if I've got a pick right now, I don't think he's going to play. No, I agree with that. So, which means true <laughs> freshman C.J. Stokes from Columbia, South Carolina, Thomas, played at okay. Hammond, will be the starting running back for this week for the Wolverines. He's He's got – Couple several carries on the season had a lot of carries last week when Quorum got hurt. So by all my expectations and what I've read, he will be the starting quarterback. This this offense, Michigan's offense, is a lot like the offense they ran last season with Josh Gaddis, who's now the head, or excuse me, the offensive coordinator at Michigan, or not Michigan at Miami, which has not been going well. But Jim Harbaugh pulled a sheet out of the Dabo Sweeney playbook and just promoted his quarterback coach, Matt, I think Weiss is how I say his name, to co-offensive coordinator along with offensive line coach, I think it's Sharon Moore. Um, And they're running a a similar system. Um, Last season, Michigan's offense was more about getting the ball into their playmakers' hands and the short intermediate pass routes at, at wide receiver this year, like two years ago, they're more about the run game. Um, 
Matt Weiss, uh, Weiss, uh, Weiss, I think is how I say his name, came from the Ravens, Thomas, from the NFL, which is where Jim Harbaugh's brother, John Harbaugh, is the head coach. And they have a very, very, uh, a very sophisticated run game. And he was involved with the running backs there. So they want to run. That's why they're starting running back being out is a huge issue. They want to run this football. So it's going to be interesting to see what they can do. Thomas, what is Ohio State's defense going to do to shut down this run game, which they struggled in last season? Yeah, they, they really did. They got hammered by uh, Michigan's run game last year. I think they're probably looking for a little revenge in that department. But you're right that this game is, is wildly different based on quorum status um, in this game. But, you know, because I, I think it was – I think Michigan had 200-plus rushing yards against them last year in that win. I think it was, what, like a 42-27 to 27 game last year? Yes. Um, but defensively, this Ohio State defense has really come a long way this season and is really playing good football. They like to use – uh, gap exchange with their front six, which is basically kind of what you see pre-snap isn't always what happens after the snap. After the snap. Nice. They like to slant individual linemen instead of slanting the entire front. A lot of times you'll see at the snap, you'll see an entire the entire defensive line sort of in concert slanting right or slanting left or crashing inside. But they like to get a little exotic and do some individual slants. They're really good at, at maintaining their gaps once they beat the offensive line, which, of course, if those defensive line can occupy the offensive linemen, keep them from getting to the second level, getting the linebackers uh, blocked, it gives those linebackers a lot of freedom to remain free to hammer the ball carrier. Um, linebackers really have to be disciplined. Maryland, uh, the other week against Ohio state had a lot of success faking, faking a screen one way and leaking the running back out the backside. So I'm certain that Michigan would like to try to exploit something like that. But I mean, I think Michigan is number one in the big 10 and rushing. Now, of course that is with Blake Corum playing plus what happened last year. Ohio state is going to be committed to stopping the run and forcing this Michigan offense to pass. So finally, one of the things I want listeners to look out for is I could see Ohio State running a lot of bare fronts. When we talk about bare fronts, these are designed as run-stopping defenses. You'll have the, the center and both guards are going to be covered by defensive linemen. Now that can be head up or they can be shaded off of their shoulders, but either way, you're going to have defenders, defensive linemen, over the center and over those guards. Another thing you can look for to see if this is a bare front is the defensive ends will have outside leverage on those offensive tackles. And usually Ohio State has one of those hybrid linebacker positions like everybody else is using now. That hybrid player will be rolled down near the line of scrimmage on the strong side. So they're really going to be committed to stopping this run game. And honestly, if they can make Michigan pass, which I think they can, this is going to be a long day for Michigan. I totally agree with you, and I can tell you as an offensive lineman, I hate, and I mean hate, a bare front. When you have <laughs> the center and both guards covered head-to-head, holy moly does that mess up a lot of stuff. So, like, yeah, if, if, you know, if you're rolling out in that front, you're basically saying, hey, we dare you to pass. We dare you yep. to pass the ball, which I think is going to – I agree with you 100% is what they're going to be doing. So, Ohio State's offense, Thomas – I'm really excited about this offense. I'm going to try and not take too long here. Put me on a timer. I think I sent you. I think I sent you like five different texts this weekend with or this week about things I found about this offense. Ryan Day came to Ohio State in 2017 to be the OC for Urban Meyer. Before that, 
he had been a GA under Meyer at Florida, then followed um, uh, another Florida coach to BC, went to Temple for a hot minute, came back to BC to be the play caller, and was using Urban Meyer's spread power attack. Think the Tim Tebow offense. It's essentially, we're going to spread you out. Everybody was running spread at that time, but they were flinging it all over the field. What Urban said was, we're going to run spread, but then we're going to run it down your throat, especially with our quarterback. And, you know, Tim Tebow won two Heismans doing that. So, you know, and Alex Smith became a number one uh, overall pick doing that at Utah. But what Ryan Day brings to this offense and what he started bringing to it in 2017 and then as he became the head coach in early 2018 after Urban was put on administrative leave for his knowledge of some domestic abuse issues by one of his wide receiver coaches, you know, nothing to be too, too concerned about there, Urban Meyer. Um, You know, uh, he has started to bring a a little bit more of a vertical passing game. He uh, took advantage, not advantage, I guess I should say, got involved in a – a connection with Chip Kelly. Urban Meyer and Chip Kelly kind of started talking about their two versions of the spread. And then when Chip Kelly went to the NFL, Ryan Day went with him. It was his quarterback coach in Philly and at San and in San Fran. And his whole goal, and he's on on record saying this, he wanted to learn more about the passing game. How can I take a, a more modern passing game to what Urban's doing with the with the the, the spread power? And I came across a lot of great articles. Uh, if you've ever uh, listened or read uh, the 11 warriorscom which is one of the Ohio State articles, look back at also Chris B. Brown's articles for the Grantland uh, website uh, when Bill Simmons had that. They, they explain football so darn well, but it is so damn interesting because here's one of the things I learned, Thomas. Ryan Day told re- – this was recent. This was actually to Vols Wire to go all the way back to Tennessee uh, this past offseason because he was in Nashville for a college coaching uh, convention. He said one of the things he wants to do in the offseason, he wants to run his base uh, offensive plays with his uh, players 100 times apiece by the t- before they get to preseason camp. What he wants to find out from there is with our personnel and what we can do, what are our best plays out of this offense? And then we're going to run that. And that's just darn smart football. That's not taking a system and saying, we're going to fit you. We're going to make you fit in this square hole. We're going to take it and take what you do and make it better. When you look at offensive passing, Thomas, and I'm going to try not to go too far down a rabbit hole, it, it has three basic beginnings. The West Coast offense, if you're a football junkie, you've heard a lot about it. Google it if you haven't. Then you have the Air Cordell system and the Erhart Pickens, uh, excuse me, Perkins system of calling plays. The West Coast offense is insanely complex. If you've listened to any sort of wired NFL quarterback call a play and he's saying a paragraph, that is the West Coast offense. It is it's devolved into this insanity, and I, we can talk about that in the offseason. The Coriel system is very interesting in the fact that, Thomas, they use their route tree, and you have one through nine routes. And what they've done is they take three, three, the three main wide receivers and say, hey, we're going to run a 859, which would be post-out-go. But the problem is in the modern offense, you at least usually have a fourth wide receiver. So then you have to tag another guy. So it might say H hitch or H wag. And so it gets complex. Spurrier played in both these systems, the West Coast and the Air Cariel, but he also had some involvement in the Earnhardt Pickens system, which they call their plays based on concept, which brings me all the way back to Ryan Day. 
Ryan Day doesn't call these insane place calls. He'll have his formation, which, again, the 11warriors.com example gave duet right up 61 levels. Duet right is the formation. Up is a variation of where the tight end is. 61, the first number tells the offense that it's a six-man protection. The one tells them it's through the left. And then levels, Thomas, is the concept. That's, in my opinion, what makes this offensive system and this way of calling plays genius. You call concepts, levels, snag, sail, verts, and no matter the formation, the quarterback knows a lot of times also it'll tell a number of how we're looking. He knows no matter the formation, I'm going to have a guy, one guy doing this, another guy doing this, another guy doing this. Spur used a very similar call. He would call uh, his form, his plays would be like Spriggs or GT, or it was a concept. It makes it so easy on the quarterback to know the play. And when you look at what Spencer Radler talked about this season, or excuse me, this week, about how they simplified things, and look how he played, Thomas. This is a quarterback that we had a lot of high hopes for that looked like a different guy, looked like a guy with the handcuffs taken off because they simplified it. And, Thomas, I could go on day and night about play-calling anatomy. It's my favorite freaking topic. But I say all that to say their offense is very well designed. It is designed to exemplify what their players are good at. C.J. Stroud is a great passer. He is not Justin Fields, who's going to be a runner, and that's the type of offense Urban Meyer used early in his career. You're not going to see that, but you might see some RPOs. This is an explosive offense. Marvin Harrison Jr. is living up to his dad's billing as a great wide receiver. Thomas, I feel like I feel like Michigan's defense is in a lot of trouble. What can they do to stop this? Yeah, you're right. And and CJ Stroud, <clears throat> excuse me, is such a great quarterback. And I think one of the things that that makes him such a great quarterback, you know, he's got he's got really good intangibles, of course, and he can throw the ball and 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 he can do he has all of those physical traits, but he is such a heady, heady quarterback. Yes. He's very smart. And I think he is he is a perfect quarterback to run Ryan Day's system. And, and I've always known that you've had a man crush on Ryan Day, and now I see why. I understand it. Um, being, being that offensive guy, I do. <laughs> yeah, fine. Fair, fair enough. Yeah, I'm okay. Fair with enough. He, he's that. he's uh, he, he does a really good job at it. Um, Michigan's defense that uh, you know their their defense has been very good this year. Um, I think they're sitting at number two rush defense in the country, number two scoring defense, number one total defense. In the top five pass yards allowed, I think now I don't know about the uh, last week's game against Illinois, but at least going into that game, they had only allowed two fourth quarter touchdowns in conference play, which is which is pretty insane in and of itself. Leading the country in points allowed, yards allowed, rush yards allowed. This is a really really good defense. However, they have not faced an offense like this at Ohio State is 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 going to be bringing into this game. So I think and Ohio State, as good of a passer as Stroud is, and the wide receivers they have with Harrison, Egbuka, um, Jackson Smith, and Jigba when he is playing. I mean, they don't even really need him, honestly, with the other uh, talented wide receivers they have. But Michigan's going to have to rely on getting pressure with the front four. They're going to want to keep everything in front of the secondary because, again, 
Stroud will find those mismatches, exploit them, and burn you over the top. On third downs, I do think you're going to see a lot of, uh, particularly third and long situations, a lot of single high cover one with some exotic blitzes. Because Michigan, I could definitely see them trying to get exotic on third downs, try to show some looks that they haven't shown this year. But the bottom line here with this defense against Ohio State's offense, and, and this goes for any defense that's playing against Ohio State, when you do blitz, you better be damn certain that those blitzes are going to get home because C.J. Stroud can murder you all game if you're not getting home with those blitzes. I mean, you're absolutely right. You better get there because if you don't, he's going to make you pay. And here's the thing. Michigan's defense led the way for them into the playoffs last year. Like, let's be honest. This offense was Mm -hmm. fine. It was fine, but this defense was explosive. And, I mean, their numbers right now are are still insane. Um, I really – Okay, well, before I say this, final outlook, Thomas. Who who's winning? Is there a cover? What what's your outtake here? Ohio State. They will cover. Uh, I would take the over. I think it's fifty seven and a half. I think because I I really don't think Corum is going to play in this game, and I mean he he could be the X factor here. But even even if he does play, he's not going to be a hundred percent. I just think Ohio State is clicking too well right now, and I think they're going to win this one pretty handily. I totally agree with you there. Like I, I think I think Ohio State, especially like you said with the quorum injury, I think they win this. I think they cover. Uh, I think it's going to be. It may. It may not. Unfortunately, as as much hyped as it's going to be, and as excited as I am for the game, um, I, as just a general football fan, I don't think it's going to have the drama and the back and forth that we would like to see. Um, yeah, I, I, I could be wrong, but I, I feel like Ohio State covers. And and they're going into the fourth quarter relatively comfortable. I say all yeah. that. I say all that, Thomas. I still want Michigan in the playoffs because <laughs> I, I TCU, an undefeated Big Twelve champion, T, TCU deserves to be in the playoff. Let me say that first of all. But are they better than Michigan? Are they are are they better than Michigan, or do they have a better resume than Michigan? Because I think those are two different questions, that, right? Right, and that's what I'm getting at. I think their resume as an undefeated Big Twelve team champion, their resume deserves to get in. They're undefeated. They won a big a, a big five, a Power Five championship, and they should get in. But you know, at the tail of the tape, so to speak, if Michigan and TCU play on a neutral field everybody's healthy i think michigan rolls them i'm just gonna be honest so that's what i yeah yeah and i mean you know there there is a world there it's not impossible that that michigan doesn't make the playoffs if they lose this game think about think about this now i know some people are going to be screaming to me for this but let's say Michigan loses to Ohio State, but it is very close, right. very competitive. Yeah. And then they're sitting at one loss. And then your next best team, let's say Southern Cal, wins out with one loss. You could probably say that Michigan's resume as a one loss team will be better than Southern Cal's, right? Would you agree with that? Yes. I would totally agree with that. 100% agree. So there, there, there's still a world that, that a one-loss Michigan could get into the playoffs. Um, and, of course, it's going to piss a lot of people off, but that's what's so great about about the 14 playoff system right now is just watching people get so livid yeah. when things like that happen. But, again, that's why they're expanding, and that's why we're in favor of expanding. That's exactly right, and it's high drama. Speaking of somebody in favor of, 
of expanding. Did you see Nick Saban came out this week and said, I think we should expand the playoffs. Do you, Nick? <laughs> do you? I bet he does. You feel that I way? I bet he does. I bet you do, champ. I bet you do. Thomas, you know, yeah. this is the week we get most excited for as college football fans. Unfortunately, there's not a huge – like, if you're a Gamecock fan or a Clemson fan, your rivalry game, it means a lot to you. It means a lot to you and I. South Carolina's not going to the playoffs. South Carolina may not even improve their bowl destination if they win this game. But beating Clemson means a hell of a lot. That's that's huge. Yeah. You know, Georgia, Georgia Tech, even Alabama, Auburn, one of the biggest rivalries in college football, doesn't matter a whole hill of beans this year because Auburn's not yeah. great and Bama ain't going to the national championship. So it's not even like they could archer the playoff. It's not even like they could ruin that opportunity. So the biggest games the biggest game is Ohio State Michigan, which is yeah. why I hope it, it's a good game. But I, why I've I mentioned why I think it won't be. Either way, it's November. It's football. It's going to be fun to watch. It's home with your family. Hopefully, for everybody listening to the show, you're able to do that. It's Thanksgiving, happy Thanksgiving! If you're listening to this on Thursday, is you know I hope you had a great time with your family, Thomas. As we head out the door. What do you want to tell the people about this coming week's line of football? Yeah, not, not like you said, not a whole lot doing. Really fired up about that Michigan-Ohio State game, but looking forward to being in a, a post-Thanksgiving food coma, Correct. getting some great football in, um, loving the noon kick for South Carolina Clemson. Go ahead and rip that Band-Aid off, right. get it out the way. But really hope everybody listening has a, has a fantastic Thanksgiving. Everyone be safe out there, and let's hopefully we can get some good football out of this seeds and stem slate this weekend. Agree with you 100%. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thankful for all y'all. Thank you for listening. Thank you, uh, Thomas, for us getting to do this every week. And we'll see y'all soon. See ya. See ya.